Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We awoke to awful news this morning as we learned of the shooting tragedy on the other side of the world. New Zealand is mourning 49 dead people gunned down in their place of worship by maniacs who own nothing but the ideology of hatred. The whole world is unified in the condemnation of these kinds of violent attacks, whatever they are called. We are also united in knowing that this is where hatred leads, this is where division takes us, and this is why tolerance must be the answer for all of us who claim to be civil and who claim to live in the civilised world. While we struggle to understand the news reports coming in from Christchurch this morning, apparently none of the perpetrators were on any watch list. We are going to resist labelling any of them as far-right or white supremacist. Evil will do for me, as it does for any cowardly attack on the innocent. 0344 499 is the number. Coming up this morning, we will be attempting to work out where we go next with the Brexit debacle after last night's bizarre happenings. One thing is for sure, the people's vote is now dead in the water. Can we please forget about it? Because it's now dropping off the end of the log, it seems to me. 0344 499 uh, We've had a very busy week down in Westminster uh, in the talk radio tent, of course. We've had many politicians in, many politicians talking, many politicians telling us why we can't get what it is that we want. We'll be talking about all of that as well and also because it's Friday we've got the Perrier Awards as well 0344 499 1000 you're listening to me Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio Welcome to Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. As I say, there is a bit of a pall uh, hanging over us and hanging over everyone this morning because whenever you wake up to the kind of atrocity that's happened in New Zealand, it just makes you despair about the human race. Up until uh, pretty early this morning, I was watching Question Time. I was on Twitter. I was still talking to people about the Brexit shenanigans, what's been going on. And unfortunately and tragically, something like this that has just happened tends to put Brexit into the shade. It tends to make us all feel slightly less caring about our own state of affairs and much more caring about the poor and ghastly uh, innocent people and the people that have been affected most by this terrible, terrible shooting incident. 
I don't care really why the people who perpetrated it perpetrated it in the way that they did. I'm not really that interested uh, in what their ideology is, if they have any. All I know is I regard it as evil, as I regard any attack on innocent people as evil. And I think we should all look at it that way. What it does teach us, though, is that tolerance is in very short supply in this world at the moment. We're going to be talking later on in the show about Sunday, Bloody Sunday, uh, and the prosecution and the planned prosecution of one of the British Army soldiers who's been charged with murder um, in what was also a situation absolutely filled with hatred, and one which still is, in many ways, filled with hatred. What I'd like to say is that by no means can we equate what happened in New Zealand with the kind of political discourse that we have in this country. But there are people, I would say, who need to get a lot less vitriolic with each other than there are people who need to be a lot more tolerant of each other in order for us to find a way through this particular Brexit nightmare. I was on a radio... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. ...in the United States last night talking about what had happened in the House of Commons yesterday, how bizarre uh, we are now behaving, how ridiculous uh, the, the various uh, amendments to various different bills is now becoming, how people are voting one way in one uh, second and then voting another way in another second. The whole thing has gone to pot. The whole thing needs to be very much uh, shortened and made into some kind of sensible organised uh, vote so that people can, in fact, get what it is that they want, which is to leave the European Union in a relatively orderly fashion. We're going to now talk uh, to Caroline Criado Perez, who's a journalist and campaigner uh, for the People's Vote. One of the things that did happen yesterday was the People's Vote was very soundly defeated uh, in one of the first, uh, I think it was the first amendment which was voted on uh, in the House of Commons. Caroline, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, it is 
true to say that um, I'm far less fiery than I would normally be on this subject because of what's happened in New Zealand, because it really does put Brexit into kind of some kind of context, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It does. I mean, it's horrific what, what's happened in, in New Zealand. Um, and I think you're absolutely right to link it to a need for tolerance. Um, and that is something that has been far too lacking across the world in politics. You see it in America and you certainly see it here in the Brexit debate. And I was very pleased to, to hear you call for that, for people to be less vitriolic. Yeah. Why do you think it has become so kind of... Um paranoid the political world the political discourse because it has i mean it is something that troubles me and i've been around for a long time in politics and i've had many arguments with many people but i don't think i've ever felt quite so um isolated at times not because of my views but just isolated because so many people take a view of you because of the view that you have if you know what mm, i mean absolutely i mean i think it's because it's become about your identity really mm. brexit i don't think really is about the eu it's about who you feel that you are in the world, um, and that determines the kind of person you see yourself as. And so it's become really, really personal in a way that I think politics hasn't necessarily been for a long time. But I think also, you know, we've been living through, um, uh, you know, years of austerity, um, people have been struggling. Um, and so there's a lot of a sense of anger. And I think certainly in, in the UK, the way Parliament has been behaving, you know, the way you've just been describing it, it's just a farce. It's a total joke. And I think no wonder people are angry because you just feel so powerless. I mean, certainly I feel completely powerless looking at, as you say, politicians saying they're going to vote for one thing, then voting for another thing. It just seems like all logic has flown out the window. Well, I think um, and was, I think yeah. in a situation like that, people are inevitably going to get really fired up and angry because mm. you just sort of feel these people are meant to be there for us. They're meant to be representative presenting us. And what are they doing? They're not doing anything. They've done nothing for two years. It's incredibly frustrating. Well, it's not that they've done nothing. It's that they've absolutely deliberately obstructed the idea that we should be able to find some kind of solution. They, it feels like to me that they are obstructing a solution. And it was no, it was no more highlighted than by Steve Barclay yesterday, the Brexit <laughs> secretary, actually uh, making a speech in-house, telling everybody to vote a particular way, and then voting against it himself. I mean, it's just Yeah, bizarre. well, I also enjoyed Theresa May speaking against No Deal and then voting for No Deal. Right. I thought that was pretty that was a particularly classic well, moment. Well, exactly. I mean, this is why they're finding it difficult to discipline their cabinet ministers, because they're actually voting for what they were told to vote for, except it was two hours or three hours later when it was all switched around the wrong way. But I think it's time, is it not, Caroline, to find some kind of common ground, however we plan to do that. And I know that you're going to tell me that you think it's time to have a second vote. I mean, <laughs> after, what, after what happened yesterday, and I know that you will also probably say to me, oh, yeah, well, we, things get voted down all the time. If we had a but sort of they proportional... Do. Well, they do, that's true. I mean, if you but look at Theresa have... May's deal, she's going to bring it back a third time, a fourth yeah. time. I mean, how many times? Is, you know, we sort of say, oh, why are you asking people to vote again? The Parliament has already voted twice on this ridiculous deal that nobody in the country actually likes. Um, and, you know, I mean, we call it a deal. It's not actually a deal, is it? Let's be honest about it. It's just a way of leaving. Um, and in the same way that no deal doesn't determine anything about our future, um, neither does Theresa May's deal, because she's not done anything about the future agreement. Nothing is in writing. We don't have a trade deal. And no matter what, uh, whether we have a no deal or Theresa May's withdrawal agreement, you know, we're going to spend another decade debating what the future arrangements are. And I just, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you're if you're anything like me or I think the majority of the country, I think people are just so sick of this. We are. We just want to move on. Um, and that I is mean, why the, I, would vote hand... for, I would argue for a people's vote, because it seems to me that that is the only way that we're actually going to put a stop to this, because it gives us the opportunity to have people say, right, this is either the withdrawal agreement 
government that we want, which isn't what the first um, the referendum in 2016 was. It said we want to leave, but it didn't say how we want to leave. And that turns out to have been an incredibly complicated argument, which, you know, you, it's, I mean, you'd struggle to find two people who want to well, leave you today. Can't. I mean, I say, say this, I say thing. this all the time, but the bottom line is, Caroline, that we need to find a way to leave because that's what the people have voted to do. And as you said yourself, this is a, a, a deal perhaps that nobody else wants. So why on earth would you put it to the public unless you want to win as a Remainer? Because that's what it now looks like. Everybody who wants a second vote or a third vote, whatever you want to call it, or the people's vote or the loser's <laughs> vote, as some other people call it. In the end, basically, what you are is a Remainer. And what you want to do is make sure that we don't leave. And so it's very clear to anyone who's looking from the outside or from a neutral position that if you put to the public a vote on one deal that nobody wants or um, stay where you are, then you might actually win it. Well, I don't think that um, it's really up to me because, as you say, I am someone who Thank wants to stay. <laughs> but I don't think it's up to me to determine, you know, what the people who want to leave put on the ballot paper. You know, I want to stay. So I want that to be on the ballot paper. And the reason I want to stay is that having seen the way politicians have handled this and the extent to which the promises that were made to us as, as, as a general public in 2016 just aren't possible. Um, I think that we have a right now that the facts have emerged to say whether this is what we really want or not. And, you know, if people do want it at that point, that's fine. That's how democracy works. But, I mean, if you compare this, the referendum in 2016 to the referendum that was held in Ireland over abortion, this there, this does connect, don't worry. Um, it was just done in a completely different way. They had gone round the country having citizens' assemblies to discuss the policy. As a result of that discussion, they came up with, this is a piece of legislation that will change so people knew exactly what they were voting for and then they got to vote on do you want things to stay the same or do you want things to change and that isn't what happened in 2016 and so if we were to have a people's vote, that is the kind of referendum we, we would be having. And that is, I think, an incredibly important thing that people aren't necessarily talking about enough when we talk about, oh, we're just rerunning it. It's not rerunning it. It's having it so that it's a concrete choice rather than one choice that's completely undefined and the other choice that isn't. Well, unfortunately, that's not true because I was having these conversations yesterday with a couple of politicians. Mm -hmm. Caroline Lucas was one of them. And I said to her, it's all very well saying we should be more specific about what leaving means. I also said, and a lot of people backed this because they'd never heard such a brilliant idea before, which was to say, well, how about we define what remaining means as well? Because actually, the European Union has changed dramatically over the years that we've been in it. Uh, it has expanded dramatically over mm -hmm. the years in which we've been in it. And we'd like to know what their future plans are before we agree to remain inside Well, you say it. their you future plans, but if we're part of the EU, the whole point of us staying in the EU is that we can influence their future plans. And we have actually been a very, very influential voice at the I table. I keep hearing this, you know, but the way I have that... no evidence to prove it. Though. Well, it's abso it's absolutely the case. You know, we've um, been incredibly influential on sort of environmental protections, for example. Um, we've had a big say in how workers' rights have been rolled out. Um, we we haven't been able to influence how much coal they burn in Poland, have we? Uh, well, I mean, I think you're getting into the weeds there a little bit. I'm not going to be able to tell you about well, every single... Well, that's an environmental thing. I mean, what I'm telling you is, is that in Germany and Poland, they burn coal at a rate of knots, which we would never do. But the do. point is, we have much, much more influence over Germany and Poland if we are in the EU than if we're outside the EU. And it's not just about that kind of thing. You know, in general, like, we're living in a globalised world now. Um, and you've got these huge multinational corporations, you know, like Google and Facebook, um, who don't respond to individual 
countries because frankly they're so big and they are in so many territories that they're just more powerful than we are. I mean you only have to look at how Mark Zuckerberg responded to the EU, to the US and to the UK Parliament to see that on our own we just don't have as much clout and you know that's not to do Britain down that is just recognising the world as it is now. It's changed, it has moved on from the, p the past 50 years and we are much better being part of a big powerful block so that we can really... Well, so that we can be ignored altogether rather than singly. No, so that we have our voice <laughs> part of this huge organisation that gets to stand up for the people of Europe against corporate interests, you know, against the polluters, well, against about, the well, privacy about, data yeah, but listen, stealers. But what I'm saying is the European Union, right, which is painted as this saintly, sepulchric-like organisation, one is oh, certainly on, not that. I don't think anyone's is, painting oh, them as saintly. Oh, I mean, no, they're politicians. No, no one's saintly here. No, the point <laughs> is, is that people who talk about how great the European Union is uh, don't remember what it was like when the European Union was formed. Don't remember how it's changed. Don't remember what's happened in those intervening years. You know, it is very much seen. You're quite right uh, that you want to be a Remainer because you like the way it makes you look. That is, in, in many ways, the problem. You know, it's not so much how you want to look, it's how you want others to see you. And so if you live in this kind of rather nice artsy bubble where, you know, you write books and you're on the radio <laughs> uh, and you're, on, you're in the media a lot of the time, you're on the stage, you're making movies... People like to be... I mean, I can I tell you... I was on the stage and making movies. No, that I'm is talking, an upgrade, no, but, thank you. No, but you are in the same area. You're in the arts. You're, you're, right, you're an author. You're a journalist. You mm -hmm. live a re relatively privileged life, as yeah. I do. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not setting you aside from me. But what I'm saying is, is you would no more walk into, you know, a nice little coffee shop in a middle class part of London and and, 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 hold and fly a Union Jack uh, than you would probably, you know, kill a crocodile on a safari. The point is, it doesn't. it shouldn't be about you. It shouldn't be about how you feel. It should be about common sense. And common sense, I'm afraid, has gone out the window on all sides. Oh, well, I mean, I certainly don't agree with and um, don't disagree with that. Sorry, absolutely. Common sense has gone out the window. Um, but th I mean, that is what is the problem with what's going on in Parliament. And ultimately, it seems to me that we have seen from the way that Parliament and the MPs, you know, they're just totally out of control um, and they aren't getting anywhere. Um, and so ultimately, you know, we can have arguments as much as we want about whether the EU is better, whether we're better out of the EU. For me, it ultimately comes down to Parliament is in total stalemate um, and they are not able to make any decisions. They can't decide on what they want. Yeah. And ultimately, ordinary people are the ones who are going to suffer the most as a result of what Parliament is doing. And so ordinary people have the right to have their say. You know, I think everyone is just fed up of watching these cosseted MPs posturing in Parliament for two years getting nothing done standing up and making speeches voting the other way to the say they've done the way they say they're going to vote just being basically incredibly dishonest leading us down a garden path and 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 meanwhile you know for example small businesses are suffering hugely and and the people that they are employing are suffering hugely and it's incredibly frightening i mean for me what needs to happen is the uncertainty needs to needs to end and ultimately, that's why I am in favour of a people's vote, because it's the only way that we're going to yeah. put a stop to the this. Problem, see, the problem is, and I, I'm, I admire your tenacity and, I, and you speak very well <laughs> about it. But what I would say is that I don't think it'll solve anything. The reason we are where we are is because we had a referendum in the first place. You know, so a second one isn't really going to make any difference. You're not going to be able to get everybody to even agree on what questions appear on the ballot. You can't make it too complicated because then it won't work at all. Mm -hmm. I've got a far better idea and I want you to join hands across the water here uh, <laughs> and, and back me. Because what I'm going to say to you is that... 
this. It's time to start eliminating options, right? And so basically you take it like you would take a, a proportional representation vote and you mm -hmm. move on to the next ballot. So when you get uh, something which falls off the bottom of the log, as it were, the least popular choice, that disappears. So when you go into the next ballot, you've got a smaller number of choices. So I would suggest to you, because of what happened yesterday, that the people's vote drops off the log because it's got the least amount of support in the House of Parliament. Well, I don't agree with that because, I mean... Uh, you, you surprised know, me. <laughs> Theresa May's deal has also been rejected overwhelmingly yeah, but twice. But it had the more biggest votes, government though. defeat, you know, in history. No, but it had more so, votes. But it's put forward by the government. You know, that's a totally well, different proposition see, to a back backbench uh, amendment that we weren't even supporting as a people's vote. Um, that's so what I love the most about the bizarre happenings of yesterday, <laughs> that the people's vote amendment was being not backed by well, the people's it vote. Well, it wasn't a people's vote amendment. You know, it was a backbench amendment. And, so and the reason vote. the people's vote didn't, uh, didn't support it was because, you know, you do have to respect the right of politicians to try every single avenue that they can to deliver Brexit, you know, as... as as you have said, this is what, what people voted for. So politicians do have a duty to try and deliver it. Um, and so the point at which the people's vote comes in is after we finally have exhausted all these opportunities. I, I mean, I personally think we're already there because none of the solutions that MPs are suggesting right now are remotely Well, surely plausible. if we were already there, then the time to have launched it would have been yesterday. No, which because is politicians don't feel that. voted for it. Politicians don't feel that, though. There are still plenty of politicians who feel that they still want to have another roll of the dice, and that is absolutely their prerogative to do that. I'm not going to stand in the way of them and tell them, no, absolutely not, then, you know, you can't do what you think is the best thing for well, your constituents. You just told me they've wasted everybody's time for the last Well, I two mean, years. I think that they have, but I'm not an elected official, so I can say whatever I want. That's true. <laughs> but then you have to face up to the people arguing with you like me. But listen, we have to stop because we've got to take some people's calls as well. Listen, I appreciate your time, Caroline. Thank you for being uh, as, as reasonable as you could be given your views of the people's vote and the losers referendum and all the rest of it and uh, we shall talk again soon i'm sure all right thanks very much thank you caroline criado perez there journalist and campaigner for the people's vote i think you take the people's vote off the table now they only got 85 mps who wanted to back it yesterday so surely it's the least popular of all the choices so surely you get rid of it don't you we want to hear from you 0344 499 1000 this is talk radio the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's get down uh, to the matters at hand because uh, Professor Fergal Cochrane is here with us, Professor of International Conflict Analysis, because an incredible story, an incredible historical um, story has to be told about what happened on Bloody Sunday. You'll have seen uh, the footage, of course. You'll have seen it on the news last night. You'll have heard Johnny Mercer MP talking about it as well. Let's find out uh, what Fergal thinks of it. Fergal, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. Thanks. Nice to speak to you again. Yeah, nice to speak to you again. It's, this is one of those um, terrible stories which has no friends, really, does it? It has no upside to it. It's it's something that should never have happened. It's something that did happen. Um, where where do you stand on this latest development where the families are not happy because only one soldier has been prosecuted and charged and others haven't? And, of course, the, the military side who say, well, you know, this is really unfair and there's no way that there will be a successful trial here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you've summed it up really well. Um, you know, there are people will take different positions depending on their, you know, their side of the argument. Yeah. And um, I think I think probably the best way to look at it is that when you've got people who are, let's say, sort of on the agency side of violence, you know, mm. they're either confronted by it or they're mobilised in 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 the in the sort of activity linked to violence. But there isn't a sort of overarching political system that. Um, 
has an, is is sort of universally accepted about what how to deal with the aftermath. Right. That's essentially where we are. Yes, you know. So we've we've never really had a process of dealing with the legacy of the conflict. You know, it sort of grinded to a halt um, with the Good Friday Agreement. Um, prisoner releases were then sort of part of that. Um, uh, it all sort of sort of moved very very um, slowly and awkwardly forward. But there was never really any consensus about how to, um, you know, come to terms with the conflict itself in terms of, you know, the legitimacy aspects of it. You know, it was parked, it was, it was sort of put under the carpet, and and a lot of victims felt that, you know, that that victims in the conflict weren't weren't really uh, given as much um, sort of attention uh, as the perpetrators of it. But of course, it really depends on the, your understanding of why did the conflict happen in the first place. So, from the army's point of view, you know they were there to try and uh, you know achieve security as best they could, and they are now getting sort of uh, and sort of increasingly mobilised by the fact that they're being picked upon, um, you know, retrospectively. Um, from the uh, national side of the fence, um, you know, they do, did not see the British Army as a peacekeeping force. And Bloody Sunday is a perfect illustration of that. And just to sort of try and encapsulate it for listeners, um, you know, imagine if 14 people were killed and shot dead on their street. You know, how would they feel about it? Would they want it to be forgotten about? And um, probably wouldn't. You know, and and effect, effectively that's what happened. You know, and some of these, and, and it goes back, I suppose, to the also to the the, the delay and justice being pursued. So you had the Widgery Tribunal immediately after it. Um, which which effectively didn't investigate, um, you know what happened. Then you had the Savile inquiry, which took a lot of, which took a long time, and actually, and this is a very long answer to your question, but it's probably the, 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 the David Cameron's response to the Savile report is probably the only time I can remember um, a British politician responding, you know, to one of the sort of um, one of the sort of big iconic moments in the Northern Ireland conflict. Responding in a way that had very little criticism. Mm. You know, it was an it was an apology. It had no caveats. Um, you know, the, the the families of the victims accepted it, and effectively, what this is doing, it's sort of it's re, it's revisiting that. And the fact, and and while 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 there is a prosecution, you know, there are sixteen soldiers that are not facing a prosecution, and you know, and and that and that's making people feel that it's taken it's taken so long for justice to be pursued that. How can you ever sort of have a body of evidence within a court of law fifty years later? Had they done it at the time, justice may have mm. been uh, may have been pursued. But of course, the political circumstances at the time were so difficult to do that it wasn't done. Well, you it's know, kind so. of it's, it's ironic in a way, isn't it, uh, Fergal? Because we're hearing an awful lot more about the Good Friday Agreement now because of Brexit mm. uh, than we've heard for a very long time. I mean, is it possible, for example, in your view, that the Good Friday Agreement is not uh, the greatest agreement that was ever uh, put together by Tony Blair and his government? And in fact, it was a bit of window dressing, um, which was only really dependent upon pleasing those people at the time who needed pleasing. Well, uh, I'm not sure I would buy into that. I would say it was the scaffolding. You know, and it was just, it wasn't, it, you know, how could you ever sort of resolve a 30 year conflict no. with a piece of paper? Mm. You know, you can't really do that. So it was a scaffolding, it was an infrastructure, and the, and the hope was that, you know, that, that, that things would be attached to the scaffolding and, you know, and, and sort of go on from there. So, yes, there were several things left out of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, 
uh, policing reform, uh, decommissioning of paramilitary weapons, and so on. There was some, uh, uh, and the the institutions, as we know now, with two years with no government there, you know. And I think that this whole issue that we're talking about, that you're talking about this morning, it's it's. I think you have to see it in the context of Brexit. You have to see it in the context of the fact that we've had two years with no government in Northern Ireland. Uh, we've had a sort of a resurgence of dissident uh, violence taking place and a drip feed of that within the media in Northern Ireland as well. You know, this is happening. might not make the headlines in Great Britain very regularly, you know, but there's shootings, there's sectarian mm. attacks going on on a daily basis there. Yeah. So no, when you've got, actually, you don't, have the, you don't have the infrastructure of leadership and institutions, um, how can you really have, you know, a, a an, an approach, a, a joint approach to justice yeah. and legacy? And we don't have it. And and this and you know, this is this is sort of a, I suppose, a snapshot of the problems when you don't have that. Well, you it know, is because I'm I'm reading a piece by Colonel Tim Collins this morning, and you would expect mm-hmm. he's not particularly sympathetic towards the prosecution. Obviously, uh, he grew up in yeah. Belfast. He says that at the same time as Bloody Sunday happened, in that same period, 27 uh, murders mm-hmm. happened at the hands of the Derry Brigade, yeah. which was led by yeah. Martin McGuinness. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, one thing he does say is you can't see. It very it being very easy to have a fair trial for this um, uh, soldier who's been charged because at the end of the day, Soldier F is kind of carrying the can for everybody else. You can imagine the scenes outside the court. You can imagine the kind of uh, you know hysteria that's going to associate itself with this kind of thing. Um, so you're well, almost it's uh, it's, yeah. it's almost doomed before it before it's begun, well, isn't it? Well, well, I'm not sure of that because I think the, the reason why the other prosecutions haven't proceeded is because they they have looked at the body of evidence, and I think what we've got here is a sort of a you've got you've got politics on one side and you've got you've got an evidence basis on the other side, and so I think in the actual trial there will be evidence presented and it will stand or fall on its own merits. But I think that the reason why the other soldiers have aren't being prosecuted is because there was an assessment that the evidence wasn't strong enough. So, so I think you know the, the court proceedings will probably pursue the evidence issue, um, uh, and but your your previous point is absolutely right. You know, there's a lot of bloody days in Northern Ireland's history. Uh, there was Bloody Friday, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of people. Well, what about the what about the uh, the causes that aren't being given the inquiries and aren't been given the the publicity uh, and the political impetus behind them. And that's, of course, true. And that goes back to my first point, is that we have had no sort of overarching approach to legacy issues. Mm. And I think the fact that we don't have Sinn Féin and the DUP uh, or, or other parties um, in the political institution to drive that forward and come to some agreement on it, um, you know, we're always going to get that sense of, well, what about my victim? You know, what about my, my victim? And, this, of course, and we've also had the Birmingham uh, pub bombing inquest last week as well, and this is exa- sort of almost a mirror image of it. You know, we had um, six people imprisoned uh, uh, who didn't commit the the crime and kept in jail for nearly twenty years. Um, and the victims of those of those pub bombings, thinking that they had got justice, only be told twenty years later that actually no, they weren't the people who did it. Yeah. And and now there's an inquest. To, you know, and so and the, and that's again a symptom of the fact that if you don't. Uh, you know, pursue these uh, things at the time. It's extremely difficult to uh, try and do it retrospectively all these years later. So Tim Collins's point about yes, there was other violence taking place, and what about that, and what about this? He's absolutely right. But there, you know, there are there are dozens, if not hundreds, of those types of things. Yeah. 
Well, also, um, it's not helped, is it, yeah. by the fact that at the time, and we've seen this in many areas of government and in many areas of historical kind of investigation, that the British government was rather complicit, shall we say, uh, with some of the killings that took place from the loyalist side. Certainly there was mm-hmm. that uh, uh, that long campaign of shoot to kill. Certainly there mm-hmm. was also, you know, ab- abject misleading going on by members of the government and by certainly members of the security services. So, so there are no winners here, really. Well, no, and, and again, it's, uh, you know, it, it goes back to the point that, um, I mean, I don't want to talk about the specific instances of, of the link to the, the court proceedings, obviously, but, but you know, the British Army were not peacekeepers. You know, the British, the British Army were peace enforcers, and there's a big difference there. Also, it's worth remembering that, um, that at the time of Bloody Sunday, uh, the British Army were effectively subcontracted to Northern Ireland by a British government that wasn't in political control of Northern Ireland. Uh, you know, a discredited Unionist government was there, and they used the British Army to impose internment yeah. without trial. And, and again, so that so ultimately, in my view, it's it's a, it's a political responsibility of the United Kingdom to govern. Uh, they didn't really want to get back involved in Northern Ireland at the time, uh, so they they you know so they sent the the troops in. Uh, the troops did arrive as peacekeepers, but of course were then politicised by the conflict mm. very quickly, which the army themselves recognised. And the, you know, the, the army themselves said, "Look, we're in the honeymoon period, but if there isn't a political solution, we are going to be part of the problem." And that turned out to be true. Yeah. Um, what about you know, what they did? I mean, I know that there was talk of doing a sort of Truth and Reconciliation Commission type mm. arrangement in Northern Ireland. And I think they made some move towards that. I mean, I'm not saying it worked particularly well in South Africa because it didn't really. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But is there a better way? Because this retrospective justice just doesn't seem to please anybody. Well, I think I'm not sure that a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission would suit Northern Ireland. I, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's certainly no political appetite for it. Uh, um, but. Uh, I think there needs to be some meeting of minds amongst the political parties in Northern Ireland to address it and and design something bespoke for Northern Ireland. Mm. Otherwise, we're going to have this drip feed of um, uh, the past becoming a weapon in the present. Exactly. And we saw, I mean, we saw, and I can't blame the families for having the attitude that they've got, but you could see that they're never going to give up until they're dead and possibly their their relatives will carry on after they're dead. You know, they want justice, but they're probably never going to get it. And, 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 you know, you wouldn't either, I'm sure. And, and, you know, I mean, if if you're a victim of violence, you know, you want, Mm. you want justice, but if, but if you're not getting, you know, if you feel that the state that you live in doesn't have the apparatus to give you justice, then that's a, that's quite an existential problem yeah. for you, both yeah. as an individual and as a community. So, of course, people will keep pursuing it, but it's more likely that they will be willing to, you know, to almost see that personal um, sort of journey if they feel that the state or you know or, or the organisation that the state sets up is doing it for them, mm. or you know, or is, is pursuing. It. And the, the TRC of South Africa is a very interesting example. Because that was extremely traumatic for the society and for the individuals concerned, mm. and it was very uneven. So, where you got somebody in South Africa who was clearly contrite for what they did and told people what happened to the victims, told people where they were buried, there was a bit of closure there yeah. for them. But where you had um, people who were sort of mocking the proceedings, you know, well, that was rubbing people's noses mm. in their own victimhood. So, uh, even if you have a TRC, you do not get perfect truth. It doesn't exist. No. But you may get. You may get. It, it will help some people, 
uh, it won't necessarily help everybody. Right. Now, finally, Professor, I know this may not be an easy question to answer uh, with, with, with brevity, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Well, because of where we are right now with Brexit and the whole kind of idea of moving forward with it, trying to find a solution, what is the kind of general perceived knowledge and perceived wisdom, if you like, in Northern Ireland about what should be the case in terms of, um, you know, the backstop and all of that? Well, I mean, it's, it's a you know, great question. Interesting times. Um, it, the perception in, in Britain might be that, well, people in Northern Ireland really don't like the backstop because the DUP don't like it. Yeah. But there is majority support in Northern Ireland for the withdrawal agreement okay. uh, because it keeps a border out of Ireland. The backstop there will keep the border out. Uh, the DUP are quite isolated on that issue. Mm. Uh, although the Ulster Unions Party, smaller party, also take the same position. But if you look at um, farmers groups, business groups, they're all essentially trying to lean on the DUP to say, well, look, you know, just accept this because a no deal outcome would be a disaster. So um, that's where Northern Ireland, there is a bit of consensus in Northern Ireland for the withdrawal agreement as being a much better option than no deal. I wish there, course, was, I wish there was some here. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know obviously they voted Remain, but essentially they're sort of looking at well yeah. a soft Brexit is better than no deal. Right. No deal would be a disaster. Right. So so the, there's not that sort of great antipathy towards the backstop that you'll see from the DUP. But the DUP's position is entirely reasonable in the sense that they do not trust the British government, and why would they? Mm. Um, because they've shilly shallied over what they're going to do. And the DUP see themselves as been treated, and Northern Ireland has been treated as not the same as the rest of the United Kingdom. Yeah. You it's know? a difficult and one, isn't it? It really is. But listen, a, we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about it again because, uh, you know, we ain't anywhere near the final quarter of this particular Super Bowl, I don't think. Professor Fergal Cochran, Professor of International Conflict Analysis at the University of Kent. Thank you very much indeed. Let's have any calls on this because I'm wondering now whether retrospective kind of justice, as it is called, uh, is worth the paper that it is written on because it doesn't please everybody and it doesn't really ever bring justice. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Give us a call. This is Talk Radio. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. You've got to let me go. Are we human? Or are we dancers? My sign is vital. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and you know what to do. 03444991000. We'll go straight to the phones because we don't have a lot of time this morning. We're already halfway through the show. Uh, already interesting stuff coming out of it. Uh, let's talk to Patrick, who's in Belfast. Hi, Patrick. Morning, Mike. Great show as always. Thank you very much indeed. That was an interesting conversation with the professor there, but uh, I'm not sure about all of this. You know, it really doesn't, t- it doesn't sort of smell right to me. No, it, it leaves a, a very bitter taste in my mouth, Mike. Yeah. I mean, um, I have great sympathy for victims on all sides of yeah, what went on over here. Um, but, I mean, it, it seems to be a forgotten story that there was over 180 British soldiers who yeah. lost their lives to terrorists. Yeah. And and they seem to be the forgotten people in this also. It seems to be a type of a witch hunt. Well, I mean, um, they're not forgotten because Soldier F, who's believed to have been in the Parachute Regiment, I mean, he's not named. I'm assuming his, his identity will remain secret, but I dare say there will be those who know who he is. Um, you know, he was he left the army in 1988. It's a very long time ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, there seems to be an awful lot of money thrown at the victims who who were killed by British forces or allegedly killed by British forces. But not one of them, over 180 soldiers, 
deaths has been investigated or anybody who perpetrated them crimes has been brought to justice. I mean, we're at the 30th anniversary of two British Army corporals who were mercilessly dragged from their cars, beaten, tortured, and then shot with their own weapons in Belfast. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up on the Falls Road. I remember Jerry Adams calling at, at my mother's house and requesting that myself and my brother join the IRA. Right. Um, and we had to move. And then it was I took the decision very early on that I was going to stand against this, and that's why I joined. But I just wish people would remember that, you know, that there isn't anything going to come out of this apart from more misery. Yeah. I want closure for everybody, not just for the alleged victims who were shot um, innocently. Well, this is it. I, I mean, want... as we were hearing um, from Tim, uh, the, the, the colonel guy who's written uh, this morning in the Daily Mail, he's he, he was born in Belfast. He works in did about four tours of duty in Belfast and said 27 people were killed by the IRA, uh, the Derry Brigade, uh, run by Martin McGuinness, in that same period. That's what I'm saying. And, and yet Martin McGuinness has been held as a, a hero when it comes to the political situation that we find ourselves in now. I mean, it just seems to um, smack of hypocrisy. It's, mm. it's all right to do one thing, but on another, people turn a blind eye. And what do you think is going to happen, Patrick, if indeed this trial does go ahead um, and it's a circus, which it's bound to be, um, and he gets off? Um, I don't think any good will come of it, Mike, because then families will never, ever have closure. Even if the this soldier is found guilty of what I believe he was doing his duty, he, mm. felt, he, he felt threatened for his life. Even if he did go to prison, there's still no closure. You know, they won't bring their loved ones back. But the fact is, if if that's what it takes for them to get justice, and if he is found guilty, then fair enough. Mm. You know, but my fact still comes around it. When you're serving in the forces, you're not, you don't set out intensely to kill people. The IRA and other terrorist organisations, they set out when they went on a mission yeah. to purposely kill people. We didn't. Yes, and they've admitted that as well. Absolutely right, Patrick. Gonna let you go. Thanks very much indeed. Great call, uh, Patrick in Belfast. There, I think speaking on behalf of a lot of people from that part of the world. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's twelve thirty-two. It's Friday. It's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Is that new music again? It's it is the same. time. It's uh, time for the Perrier Awards. It hasn't been changed, the music, by the way, uh, because of the Glastonbury thing that you might have noticed we've been doing a bit earlier on. Uh, but Con Mendez is here. Uh, he is our producer, of course. He goes by other names, but we will stick with this one for the moment. A very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. Shall we begin? No, why not? Let's well, get on with it. Yes, hello and have welcome. Have I won any? Uh, I think uh, one or two, yeah. Yeah, good. Welcome to another star-studded, glittering edition of the Perry Awards. You know the deal. This is where we look back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic so of cool. Mike Graham and celebrate our very favourite moments. So let's begin. And of course, Mike, as is tradition, mm. the first one goes to you. Oh, and good. it's for Marketer of the Week. I mean, thank God this one is not running our advertising department here at uh, Talk Radio, or else we'd never have any adverts. Well, exactly. I mean, can you imagine phoning a f- phoning an adver- someone who wants yeah. to advertise saying... It's not a know, very good radio station, this, but, but it's the only but one there the, is, it's so the make best, sure you give the us best your you money. It's the best you can get, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
I did correct myself later to say, obviously, <laughs> that's not what we would say. <laughs> no, of course not. Yes. Uh, we have, uh, of course, spent most of the week down at College Green outside the Houses of Parliament. Mm. Uh, we spoke to many MPs and commentators, but it was uh, one of our callers, Neil in Macclesfield, who gave us the best summary of the week. What we seem to be doing uh, now is just voting on meaningless things. Neil's in Macclesfield. Hello, Neil. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Not bad, sir. What do you want to say? It's all just guff, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> Very good summation of the week, I think, on Talk yeah, Radio. Well played. the nail on the head there. Yeah. Um, well, we do love the callers, of course, mm. uh, this week especially. You've all been brilliant. Uh, this person, though, wins Caller of the Week. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham here on College Green down in Westminster. Whoever it is is trying to call me right now. You should be listening to my radio show, realising I'm on the air and not trying to ring me. So don't bother, whoever you are. Although, actually, as it turns out, it was the post office wishing to give me a refund because uh, I contacted them later on in the day, and they sent me £30. Oh, wow. Nice of them? And you spoke to them like that, and they still did it. Yeah, well, they didn't hear that bit, obviously, because <laughs> oh, no. they didn't know I was on the radio. That's why they were calling me. <laughs> uh, Thanks. Uh, yes. Uh, well, whilst we're on calls, mm. uh, uh, you have to listen carefully for this one. All right. It's the ringtone of the week, and it goes to Brexiteer MP David Davies. And I worry that if we vote this down tonight, we're playing straight into their hands. And doesn't that sound ironic as well, um, Andrew, because you're from that side of the party that wants to see a better deal? Did you hear what it the was? Great Escape. Yeah. I, I didn't notice that at the time, actually. Didn't you? Oh, it's so quite that's loud. his ringtone, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's the Great Escape. A nice right. bit of uh, showbiz gossip there. And it's also, you know, been, sounds like it's the Great Escape as played on those, um, you know, those tin drums from the West Indies. Really? Is that what you heard? That's what I heard. Oh. Should we play it again? Uh, yeah, we can uh, right now. Um, Andrew, because you're from that side of the party that wants to see a better deal. Yeah, no, it's, like, it's not it a is. steel drum. Yeah, it is. What do you guys I've got? I've got perfect musical hearing, you know. Oh, OK. Well, there we go. I've can... got 18 out of 18 on my oral test at the Royal Academy of Music, so I wouldn't question me. Okay, well, because <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. No, no you wouldn't. Uh, yeah. Before back... <laughs> I was born is what you usually say. Yeah, yeah. way before. Yeah. Uh, back to callers now. Uh, Vernon in Worcester adds to his collection of pairs by winning Pacifist of the Week. I just want to say to the elite at Westminster, we will remember. We will remember. That's not a threat. Just get that bit in, just for good measure. It's great how saying it's not a threat mm. makes it sound exactly like a I threat. I know, isn't it? Isn't it just? <laughs> um, well, the weather at College Green was changeable, I think we could say, say, across so, the yeah. week uh, whilst we were there. Talk Radio's Matthew Wright, however, was down there for just one show, just three hours, but managed to pick the worst three hours of the week, which saw <laughs> constant heavy rain. Uh, whilst I think we were sat in the pub. Um, he was off the next day as well. Yeah, that, that twinned with a caller he disagreed with has led him to win the jolliest person of the week. But within 10 years, the whole thing will fall apart. Really? Thanks very much. You know what? No, that, that'll do me fine. That'll do me fine. I know when I'm talking to people who really... When you're talking Mystic Meg staring into crystal balls and claiming the European Union, it's 27 member states are going to go broke in 10 years. Quite frankly, I have to wonder why I'm sitting here in a chair in the pouring rain, wasting my time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get paid for it for a start, yeah. Matthew. That would be one reason. Oh, well, I can... hope he is, anyway. Yeah, he can He's come and uh, just reply it to he enjoys that. it. Uh, he can come and reply to that very soon. Yeah. Uh, uh, you also had a bit of a moment with a caller, Mike. Did I? You won the most impatient person of the okay. week. Every single one's got to be checked. So right. where they get off thinking there's no border. But anyway, here's the thing. Yeah, hurry up, because I've got to get on. That, yeah, 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 right. I'll be as quick as can. Well, sometimes you do have to kind of jolly them along. Otherwise, you know, it's only a three-hour show. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Um, and finally, mm. Mike, uh, to our dear Susan in Exeter, oh, yes. a great call a couple of days ago, which saw her win the question of the week. What happens if there's a war, if we detach ourselves hey? from Europe? Are they going to bail us out? Well, it's not going to be a war. What are you talking about? You don't... Listen, sweetie, you don't know. If the Chinese invade the Isle of Wight and work their way up... <laughs> it was a great question, to mm. be fair. Why well, would they invade the Isle of Wight? Well, though? since that call, we have had Alex Dibble stationed at the Isle of yes. Wight, keeping a keeping a, a weather keep, eye keeping out, keeping across things. Yeah, absolutely, very good idea. And yes. of course, um, you know, lots of people saw that clip on the on our Twitter feed, and it's it's had a lot of views mm. because she then continued to ask about four other questions, all of which were just as ridiculous yeah. as the first two. Well, none of the MPs we spoke to even managed to answer that question either. It was by far and away the most popular moment, I think, of the interviews that we did all through the week. Mm. But there we are. But that's it for the Perry Awards. There will, of course, be more next Friday. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.